RBC, thanks for taking the time to tune into this video. This is the uh, supplemental session to our Holy Spirit series that we did over the summer coming into the fall. And late in that series, we ask if you would just take some time, if you had questions about the Holy Spirit in general, any of the teaching topics we covered over uh, eight weeks, uh, that you could send those in. Uh, so we are very grateful for those of you who took time to send in some questions. So we're going to take some time together and move through some of those. Um, we got some really good questions. Some of them were short questions, and so we have to assume some context in answering them. Uh, other questions were, were much lo longer uh, and more expanded, and so we've had to sort of truncate and combine and get to the essence of those questions so we can, we can answer them. But uh, all in all, we hope this session is helpful to you. Uh, we hope it is uh, an aid as you grow in your love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for our time real quick, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for the day that you've given us, and we are grateful for uh, your Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the person, um, the, the third person of the Trinity, Father, and, and grateful for the time we were able to take this summer just to, to learn. Um, and so, Father, now as we, as we delve in, we answer some questions, we continue to just pray that you would lead us by your Spirit. Uh, Father, we are grateful for your Word that uh, is empowered uh, by your Spirit. And we pray that this time would be beneficial to your people uh, and glorifying to your name. We ask these things uh, in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Um, Jim, we're going to start uh, with you. You got the first question. You're going to kick us off. Um, this was, and this is an experience I feel like most Christians have had, uh, probably most pastors have had. Uh, and that's, the, those are those instances where someone comes up to you and they say, God told me to tell you something, right? And there's a variety of ways people can do that and a variety of ways that can be received. So the question is, how should I respond hmm. if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, God told me to tell you whatever? Second question, second part of that question is, what should I do if I feel prompted, if I feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting me to go tell someone sure. something? Yeah, yeah. So did the Holy Spirit prompt you to ask Jim that question? <laughs> We're going to go with yes. <laughs> so to me, I, I think it, it really boils down to the question of how does the Holy Spirit communicate to us? Like how, mm. how are we to receive communication from God in our current context, right? I think we, we all know that the, that the men who wrote the Bible, they had an experience with the Holy Spirit and they wrote whatever it is that God wanted them to write. Right. We know that in specifically the Old Testament, God engaged people in a certain way uh, you know, Moses saw God face to face. Well, how did that really work, right? And so in, in this season of history, how does God communicate to us? So let me just say, first off, I do believe that the Holy Spirit communicates to us. The question is, how does that happen? And what does that really look like? The risk of saying God told me is, you know, I'm kind of putting myself on a plane. You know, if, if all scripture is God breathed, you know, Second Timothy 3.16, are you telling me that what just, what just happened to you is God breathed? Like, that's the risk, right? Like, on what level is this? Am I equating this to Scripture or what? So my perspective, and I think our perspective, is that we were given the Word of God. The, we were given the Holy Spirit. The canon of Scripture is closed. The church is established. And through the process of a journey in life where we're reading the word, engaged with the body of Christ, in our personal walk with the Holy Spirit, we come to some clarity about what God wants us to know and understand and, and how to move forward. So let's say, you know, if someone comes to me and says, hey, God told me to tell you this, 
Well, then I take that as something that I need to consider. I go to God's word. I seek wise counsel. I pray. And through that process, my hope is that the Lord would confirm to me that I go, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, really, that's really the case. For me, let's say I'm looking at you, at you and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I just feel this internal sense. I, you know, I've been praying for JVD about this. I've been reading the word and I just feel like I have a word of encouragement for him in all of that. I would never say God told me to tell you this. What I would say is, and, and let's say, you know, in relationship to spiritual gifts, well, I believe that I have the gift of discernment. Let's say that that's true. I think that God told me is one way to say it. Another way to look at it is through my own study of the word, through prayer for, for you and so forth and your circumstances and my experience and wisdom that God has given me over the years. I have discerned some feedback for you that you might find helpful. So rather than saying, God told me to tell you this, I would say, you know, JVD, I, in thinking about everything that's going on in your life, the conversations that we've had, I've been praying for you on that. I've been reading God's word. I really want to encourage you to consider this. And, and, you know, and then as you're walking forward, if the Holy Spirit brings some confirmation to that, praise the Lord, right? The, the challenge with God told me is there are really three things at play all at once. There's the, the Spirit, there's my own heart, my own desires, the self, and there's the enemy, right? So at any point in time, and, and I've had plenty of people who felt like God was telling them to do something. And at the end of the day, it was really what they wanted to do. It was being more driven by their their the old man their their personal self than the, the Holy Spirit at all. And navigating how we discern those things is really a process of our own journey in Christ to come to well. How does the Holy Spirit work in these environments? And so I, I don't get myself too wound up when people say God told me to tell you this. I I, I receive that, but I've discerned also that sometimes it's way it's 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 off base. Right, and sometimes that's due to immaturity on their part. Um, but if if I feel like I want to communicate something to someone, I would say it. Hey, here's what I've discerned, and I want to encourage you with this thought that that I think that the Lord may really be leading in. Hmm. A super helpful distinction, I think. Yeah. yeah, and one thing I would add to the if I'm if I'm going to say something to someone else, you know, I, I just see a lot of times in my own life where I'm like, man, I really feel like I need to say something to this. This, this person, this brother or family member or whatever. And in those moments, a lot of times I'm like, Lord, would you give me the opportunity to do that? And if the Holy Spirit really wants to, to use me to do that, just a number of times I've prayed that. And within a matter of days, like I'll be... Door opens. Uh, yeah, door. Yeah, I'm hanging out with that person. We're driving somewhere. And they just happen to mention something that's right on the topic or ask me for my opinion on something so similar. And I've got like the nice door. And I think that's the confirmation of the Spirit saying, yeah, I did want you to talk about this. Now, I, I echo what Jim said. I don't go to them and say, see, I was praying for an opportunity to tell you this. And this is the Holy Spirit of God saying you need to do this. But I think God opens up those opportunities if he, when he wants us to be that, that mouthpiece but, when but we pray even for in, it. Even in that situation, to, to be able to say, you know, it just seems like the Lord's orchestration is in this. Because mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be opposed to you saying, hey, though, I feel like, you know, I've been praying about this for you, actually. And I feel like the Lord has orchestrated this. And I'm, I'm really encouraged to be able mm. to share, you know, some of the things that, that I've been thinking and praying through for you. And I think even with the examples you guys are giving, what's inherent in that is if you are, whether you're receiving or bringing a message as it, as it were there's a there's an element of humility even if i don't like 
the phraseology, hey, God told me to tell you. I want to be humble and open enough to go to the scriptures, pray, seek, discern the Lord. Um, and likewise, if I feel like, hey, I need to go, I'd like to, I feel like God is in some way, however that is, asking me to go to somebody and talk to them. I want to, I should do that, I think, in a spirit of great humility, because in the end, like it's a step of faith for me as well uh, to, to reach out to somebody. And let me also say this, I, I, and I've known people who have been in church environments where God told me, God told me is really kind of the, the foremost way of communicating. And some real damage have, has been done to people because when, when I say God told me, whoa, that's really hard to argue yeah. with, right? Like there's some weight behind that. Mm-hmm. And if there's someone whose life is, if they're, in, if they're struggling or they have some decisions to make and I tell them that God told, that God told me to tell them, uh, whoa, there's some power there that I think it can be real manipulative in the wrong hands. And I think, you know, we should be really cautious about speaking for God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we should really be cautious about that. Amen. So maybe a good not just the question to ask for the person who feels like they, the Lord has impressed upon them something to, to share, not just to ask the question, has the Lord actually impressed upon that for me to share, but should I share with them that I think the Lord has impressed upon that uh, on me to share with them? So not just an issue of like discernment of what it is, but discernment of even if the Lord has done that, that doesn't mean I necessarily need to invoke that when invoke telling them. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. Very good. Aaron. Next, next up for you. So this is a question that came in, and there's. I'm curious to how you're going to approach this question, actually, because it's it's a, it, on the surface it seems like sort of a simple question, but it's also asked in the context of the series. Though the question itself doesn't necessarily, um, you know, mention the Holy Spirit. Here's the, here's the question: uh, Does everyone who hears the gospel have the ability to believe in Jesus Christ? It, that is a great question. I, I echo kind of what you're saying. Not exactly uh, on the topic of the Holy Spirit. Um, more of a, I think, a question of what does it mean? What does total depravity mean, right? Does total depravity I just mean that we're all sinners and on our own we can't earn our way to heaven? Or does it mean that that we can't even accept God's gift mm-hmm. of salvation without the Holy Spirit's help? And... Um, Without getting down to too many rabbit trails of, of, of predestination, I, I'm not sure which theologian first said, um, you know, no one's going to get to heaven and say, hey, I, I earn my way into heaven. But in the same way, no one's going to be in hell and be like, I don't deserve uh, to be here. You know, and I think scripture uh, in John 16, it says the Holy Spirit is, is convicting the world of, of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He, he, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the entire world, not just to believers. Uh, Romans 1, because of what is revealed in creation, man is without excuse. We should, creation declares that there is, uh, is a God. Um, and, and I think it means that, that all of man does have some choice, right? That, 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 that God's voice is out there um, and we have to choose to respond. And, and again, uh, in Second Peter 3, there's just very clearly God says that he desires all men uh, mm-hmm. to come to know him. Um, but I, I also think just another clear principle that I, I see in Scripture um, is that the more we say no to God, the more we reject God, the quieter his voice becomes, mm-hmm. right? It's the, the hardening of the heart, the severing 
uh, of the conscience, um, that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so I, I think, uh, you know, my, my answer to, to the, that question and kind of what I, what I see in scripture is that at, at one point in time, I think everyone had the, uh, has the opportunity to, to accept that gift of salvation, accept what Jesus Christ has done for them. But I think we, we build up by rejecting God. We build up these walls and thicker and thicker walls. And sometimes those walls are so thick, man. It needs the Holy Spirit to just like blow through it. It needs the power of God to just blow through that wall that we have built up by years and years and years of rejecting God, rejecting that, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, rejecting what is revealed to us, uh, in creation. And so again, I think we have that opportunity. But we do a great job of, of building up that wall. And that's, man, we, that's where I just, I pray for a lot of my friends, relatives, people that I, I really care about that, that don't have a relationship with the Lord, that, Lord, would you, would you tear down some of those walls that, that they've put up as a barrier between, um, between them and, and you? I think one of the things that I, I think about is when, you know, in Jesus's ministry, you know, he, he went from very direct teaching to a transition to teaching primarily by parables, mm-hmm. which the scripture's clear that the parables drew in the spiritually sensitive and repelled the spiritually, you know, hard of heart. Yeah. Right. And, and I think as we, to your point, that if we harden our hearts, then that's really kind of on us. You know, and at a certain point in time, Romans one, kind of God gives us over, right? To yeah. you, you, oh, you want to go in that direction? Okay, and He kind of takes a step away, and so it's really the. <clears throat> I think there is this point of spiritual sensitivity uh, that we can plow through to a point of less sensitivity, but that's ultimately on us, right? David, this was for you, and it's related, and you covered this, I think, in one of your sessions. The question is, does the Holy Spirit really indwell a believer at the moment, and moment was uh, italicized or or emphasized, at the moment of conversion? Yeah, and it's a great question. Um, I think the first thing that you have to establish when looking at even the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophetic looking forward toward the a new covenant that's going to be accompanied by the Spirit uh, is that the correlation uh, between the follower of Yahweh is going to be correlated with the indwelling of the Spirit. So you think of passages like Ezekiel 36 and 37. Uh, you know, Ezekiel has this wild vision that is going to make the Halloween movies look, uh, p- you know, PG. Like he he sees these bones and he's told you know, prophesy over these bones and these bones, you know, gather up into bodies. And then, um, these bodies have uh, uh, flesh and then skin, um, but they're lifeless. Hmm. And what brings them to life, uh, to kind of shorten the story a little bit is the very breath of God. And then the Lord says, one day my people will have the breath of God upon them. Um, and then even in Joel 2, you know, you have uh, passages like Joel 2, um, you know, uh, in those days, or it, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So, 
So from men to women to rulers to servants, everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh, that this new covenant promise is that they will be breathed upon by the Holy Spirit. And this is carried in the New Testament. You know, you read the Gospel of John and Jesus breathes on his disciples at the end of the Gospel of John and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, and then the, the question from that becomes, okay, if we see the correlation between every believer uh, and having the spirit, well, at what point does that correlation become reality, right? Uh, at what point does the spirit do that? Does the spirit do that six months after the conversion for everyone or, you know, whatever it might be. And I think the, the New Testament, it's, it's bulk and talking is the correlation between the believer and the spirit, but we do have some passages that that show clarity in this moment of conversion. The first being the one I preached on, Ephesians one thirteen to fourteen. When you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Hmm. You have Titus three five. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So saving, washing, hmm. and renewal of Holy Spirit. You have 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where Paul says that all of the Corinthian Christians, quote, were baptized into one body and all were made to drink of one spirit. And if there's one uh, church that some of people, some of the people in the church are going to be indwelled by the spirit and some aren't, it's probably going to be the Corinthian church. And yet Paul says to these Christians, you all drink from the same spirit. Now, there's a question, though, that many people who, who create a schism between conversion and spirit uh, like to bring up, and that is the passages in Acts where you have people who uh, have followed the baptism of John. Um, they are disciples of John the Baptist who have not yet received the Holy Spirit. You have Acts uh, 19 when Paul comes to Ephesus and he says, have y'all received the Holy Spirit? And they say, we don't know what the heck you're talking about. Um, and so Paul kind of lays his hands on them and they have the Holy Spirit. And I think we should look at that and see the whole book of Acts uh, and, and many parts of the book of Acts as the apostles are looking to line up the profession of the, the confession of the Messiah with the reception of the Holy Spirit. They're looking to make those two things one, even though you have this outlier group of people who are called disciples, actually, in Acts 19 but they have not yet received the spirit. I think we should look at, at like that as an anomaly, not the norm. Uh, and you don't see that really carried into the epistles and, and the rest of the New Testament either. So I think, again, we're, we're to see the correlation between the believer and the Holy Spirit, and we're to see that correlation at the moment of conversion. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a pastoral question there, and that is, well, what if I'm a believer? I profess faith in Jesus, and I don't feel like I have the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be Jim's question for later in the video. I was going to say, so. you're getting ahead of us. That's, that's the last you question. I perceive you are a prophet. I was going to give it to you if you, you, know, if you needed no, to no, do no, it. No, 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 no. You're the senior <laughs> teaching pastor, so I don't want to steal that from you. <laughs> well, let me just say, one of, the, one of the challenges with the book of Acts, and I think this is really important for people to understand, is that, that there are things in the book of Acts that what we would refer to as prescriptive and some are descriptive, yeah. right? That describes what's happening versus prescribe what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So if we if we see everything in the book of Acts as prescriptive, well, then we see everything as the book of Acts as in the book of Acts as something that should happen until Jesus comes back again, right? And I, we, we don't believe that, right? We believe that the book of Acts is a significantly transitional book yeah. from the preaching of Jesus, the, the preaching of the kingdom to his death and resurrection and the founding of the church 
and you know all, all of that. And so when you look at Acts 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 10, where you have the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles all receiving the Holy Spirit as separate events, I've always taken that as, oh no, it's not just the Jews who get the Holy Oh yeah. no, wait, wait, it's the Samaritans too? Oh, okay. Well, wait, oh, it's the Gentiles too? And, and those were kind of those initiating experiences where those people groups were acknowledged as being able to be part of the body of Christ too. And from that point forward, we really, again, aside from Acts 19, we don't see those as separate events where, you know, that, that kind of prescriptively continues to happen in the same way on into the, to to the first century and beyond. Right. So. And I think in the same way, I, I know there's the logical fallacy by, of arguing from omission, but you would think if there was some like, well, Hey, you got to get them saved and then you got to get them the Holy Spirit, like a, a, like a separate thing. You would think Paul would have some instruction to Timothy in all his pastoral epistles on like, True. wow, if this is a really big deal, there should be something else in the epistles that really say this versus just drawing a theology sure. from, hey, well, this is what I see in Acts is the as the church is, sure. is beginning and founding. Well, especially in the pastoral epistles, yeah. you know, t- Timothy and Titus, if, I mean, he's, these guys are leading in the church. Hey, make sure, you, you know, you get this piece right. You yeah. Know, kind of thing. I, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. yeah. And it's a helpful, I think a helpful point of transition to consider Acts as descriptive. It's a historical book. It's not written to be prescriptive. And yet, you know, when we did the, the sixth part of the series on, the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the sign gifts, uh, if you fail to make that distinction between acts as prescriptive or descriptive, that leads to uh, what, in my opinion, is a lot of erroneous views on the gifts of the Spirit because you see these one-time, very spectacular, very miraculous events that happen in acts that you don't see continuing in the same way throughout the epistles. Mm-hmm. And I covered that in that session. But there are a lot, there were there were a lot of questions that came from yeah. uh, that, that teaching section. And so I'm going to, uh, I'll address the bulk of those, which many we've sort of condensed, uh, into, into this section, which is, which, so I'm going to cover, I'm going to answer these questions, uh, in, in as briefly as I can. Uh, what are the tongues of angels that Paul mentions in first Corinthians 13? You're going to um, demonstrate this one, right? By <laughs> <way>. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how the spirit leads. Uh, are there heavenly languages? Is that a thing? Uh, and what about personal prayer languages? Those were uh, questions that were asked in a variety of ways by a variety of folks. First Corinthians 13.1, we tend to look at that as, like, we read that a lot in weddings, right? We hear that a lot. It's the love the love chapter. Um, it should not be lost on us that Paul puts, that, that 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 is right in the middle of his teachings on the gifts of the Spirit. So we keep that in mind. But First Corinthians 13.1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so the question is, is Paul saying there when he uses that phrase, the tongues of men and of angels, are there heavenly languages? Are there uh, angelic dialects? Now, if you 
listen to my teaching, I you it's no surprise to say I don't I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's referring to. Uh, because of how he is using the word tongues and the phrase speaking of in tongues in First Corinthians twelve and fourteen, where as you go back and listen, I, I, I posit that he is referring to actual known human languages. And so it would be a shift in his rhetoric to now begin to um, move that meaning to something else, to a heavenly, to a heavenly dialect. Uh, so that's, that's one reason I don't think so. Uh, the second reason, um, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is speaking in hypotheticals and hyperbole. He's, it, he, he's purposefully using exaggeration to make a point, right? We look at the rest of the rest of the passage. Uh, he says uh, in verse two, uh, and if I, if I have all prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so much as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all that I have, uh, if I give my body to be burned, um, he's exaggerating mm-hmm. there to make a point, right? And he's just, he's, he's building the case for love, right? Like you can do all these miraculous things. You can, uh, if you could do these things, but if you did them without love, it, it doesn't matter. You, you, you will have settled for pointers and missed, uh, the point. And so it doesn't make, uh, sense to interpret tongues of men and angels as a, some, some, some separate dialect. It's, it's, it's not what he's been saying all along. It's not what he's saying now. Uh, it also doesn't make sense to interpret that as uh, a heavenly dialect or, um, an, an unintelligible speech uh, because anywhere that angels actually we have, we have examples where angels show up in scripture and they and they speak uh, and they're speaking intelligible words from God that people understand um, and and must respond to and so that's not saying that there's not a language that angels have that that they can speak but it's not what Paul's talking about and it's not a it's not an example that we see uh, in scripture unless we're applying unless we're superimposing uh, a modern charismatic or Pentecostal view over those, those verses as far as private prayer languages. And I'm assuming that that phrase also entails sort of a, um, you know, an ecstatic ignorance, uh, uh, ecstatic utterance, excuse me. That was, that was, that was an ecstatic. <laughs> Good demonstration. Uh, a, a non-cognitive <laughs> speech. Um, we'll say uh, that falls into the same category, in in my opinion. I I, I don't get there by reading uh, the text. I don't see private prayer language as a spiritual gift uh, in the same way that Paul is speaking of spiritual gifts in the passages that we covered in this series, First Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, where he is addressing corporate practices. He's not he's not addressing uh, your private devotional practices. Uh, these, these spiritual gifts, uh, are meant specifically, and he iterates it in a variety of ways. They're for the common good. They're for the building up of the body, uh, not just for the, the individual in his, in his private devotions, his or her private devotions. Now, scripture does delineate between corporate prayer and private prayer. Um, Paul is talking about corporate prayer. Uh, Jesus in Matthew six talks about going into your, going into your, your, your closet, right? He says, uh, 
Uh, he says, when you go and pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so there's certainly, obviously, a, a category for, for personal prayer. But there's nothing in that verse uh, either that would indicate to me that that there is a, a, a private prayer language that is a spiritual gift. Again, as Paul has been describing spiritual gifts up to this point. If you can show me in the text, uh, okay, I, w- I would consider it. Um, Not to be no. to to be devil's advocate here. Then, so uh, how would you how would you talk uh, talk about Romans eight, right? Where hey, when your weakness, the the Spirit intercedes on our on our behalf, right? Groans and utterances. Yeah, groans, right. utterances, and things like that. Yeah. Which are, in reading, the plain reading of that verse, that is, that is that is the Holy Spirit speaking, not me. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of times when I'm praying, I'm like, yeah. Lord, I don't even know what to pray in this situation. Sure. But, Lord, I know this situation needs you to do something, right. do something in it. And that the Holy Spirit, I think, is interceding. And like, well, I, By faith I, on my behalf, he is interceding with the Father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, for it, me. Yeah, it's not that I'm I'm I am praying in some some other language. It's right. like, oh Lord, I don't know what to pray here. Yeah. Lord, I need you to help. Yeah, and that's you know, and, and part of your what you're saying there is probably a lot of our experience in that there's something traumatic, right? Like there's some there's something experiential. And I had a number of people come and say, hey, I had a really good experience with some of these things. Uh, at a time of trauma in my life, a time where it was really hard, uh, something was going on, and then, you know, uh, something happened, and I did this thing that seemed to be like speaking in tongues, and and I had a good experience, right? I know that people say, ah, man, I, you know, I had a really bad experience with that, and you mentioned, I think, even in one of your mm-hmm. messages about right. uh, a guy who was, you know, felt sort of coerced, for, a better, for lack of a better word, into speaking in tongues. Um, but the thing is, either way, regardless of our experiences, our experiences don't dictate what the scriptures say. We don't interpret scripture through our experiences. And that's why, I, you know, I, I feel a compassion for those, you know, for, for people who land differently on this. Because in some way, a lot of what I'm, you know, what I've said here maybe pokes at people's experiences. But uh, it's the scripture that should interpret our experiences for us, not the other way around. I think that's a, that's a key distinction to make in this. There are some things uh, about spiritual gifts, I think, that are very clear. Uh, maybe there are some other things that are less clear. Uh, and I could be, you know, I, I don't think I am, but I could be. I leave it open that I could be in, in error in how I'm looking at some of these things. Uh, but what is clear would still stand. So Paul's clear instruction on orderliness, on if it's a heavenly tongue or if it's if it's a known human language, a heart language of someone, as we talked about in sermon, uh, there would still be the structure in place for orderliness, building up the church, encouragement for the common good. Um, mm-hmm. And if you fall differently on this topic, uh, man, we uh, you know I would say that we love and respect you. Uh, I might even ask, you know, for you guys, for us as pastors, how might we respond uh, to someone within our congregation who lands differently and maybe struggling with 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 this interpretation of, of these verses? Well, first of all, I would say if you're watching this video and you have that question, you should go watch your sermon from a few months ago 
on the Holy Spirit and on the sign gifts because I think I think you did a great job explaining those, uh, explaining kind of what what the clear teaching of Scripture uh, is from your view and and in just a real gracious gracious way. So first thing I would say is go watch Jason's sermon. Is this an issue we should divide over? Yeah, uh, no, it, it isn't. I, I mean, I have had plenty of people who would say that that, that land differently on this. Um, I've even not here at RBC, but in my previous assignment, had a couple who were very engaged in kind of the personal prayer language, so forth and so on. And, and my response was, I don't really see that clearly delineated in the scriptures anywhere. I love you. You are godly people. You know, they wanted to lead a small group. And I said, okay, as long as you agree to not, you're not trying to recruit people to a perspective that's different than the global perspective of the church. Okay. And they agreed. And and they were amazing small group leaders. And we were able to, to, to agree to disagree on that. They knew that they weren't 100% in alignment with the teaching of the church. They didn't let it get in the way and we didn't let it get in the way. And it, it, they handled themselves very responsibly on that, and and I was blessed. You know, I, again, I, I think it's very difficult when someone has a perspective that you can't fully identify in the scriptures and then extrapolate out, right? And this sure. is one of them. This is one of them. And and yet, I'm not going to sit there and say, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Yes. I don't want to yeah. be judgmental. I, I'm yes. not passing. I, I can't. No. I don't feel responsible to explain what that is either. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, uh, well, what's happening there? Uh, kind of above my pay grade at this point, right? Like, <laughs> right. I, I don't really know, yeah. and and I don't really feel like it's worth getting into a contest over in a way that do, that divides. Yeah, yeah. That's a good word. I think I think the division is is such a key thing. I want to exalt Christ. I want, you know, it, it if that experience becomes more important than Christ. Well, that's a big. That's that is a, big, a different conversation. That's a very different conversation, sure. a very different issue. Um, but I want to, yeah, I want that that to be first, Christ to be first and foremost sure. in it, um, and not to be not to be something that hey, I'm, I'm dividing over a man. If if you don't do this, you know, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. That's a, that's a whole right. different issue. Different when there are people who, who would land there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, let me take the next one, which is uh, related to the miraculous gifts. And it is, does the gift of prophecy include telling the future? Uh, which I covered embarrassingly briefly uh, in my in my message. The, the which is why we're doing this. <laughs> right. It's your fault. Why we, why we have to do this to begin with. You guys needed to give me like an hour and a half to get through all that. Um, so I did summarize what the gift of prophecy is, again, from as, as I read it from 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and 14 in particular. Uh, distinct from Old Testament prophets, we said that those with the New Testament gift of prophecy are proclaimers, explainers, and dot connectors, mm. uh, able to connect the people of God to the Word of God. Mm. Uh, they're, they have the, the, a, a, a spirit empowered ability to call others to account in ways that encourage, that build up and comfort. They bring godly conviction. They have insight to disclose secrets of people's hearts in such a way that cause them, cause those people to worship God. That's a, that's a summary uh, essentially of of the last part of first Corinthians chapter 14. So does that gift include uh, telling the future? Uh, I would say that I am, 
I'm open, but I'm cautious there. I'm open to the possibility uh, that God may, in certain instances, reveal specific things about the future to someone. I think that can sometimes be a part of that gift, but I'm, I'm cautious. Uh, foretelling the future uh, is not indicated as a part of prophecy in Paul's instruction here. Again, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians. Uh, we can draw some conclusions out of Acts if we look at that as prescriptive instead of descriptive, but for the text that we've mainly focused on, um, prophecy and future are not tied together. Same in Romans. Romans also mentions prophecy as a spiritual gift, but does not uh, include a predictive element in there. Second Peter 2.1, um, and this is, this is interesting. I didn't bring this up in the sermon, but uh, it says this, is there are false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now that's a warning, but the, the point that I, that I draw out from that is that, uh, Peter uses prophets and teachers seemingly interchangeably. Mm. Uh, and so I, and I, and I, so I see the, the function of a spiritually gifted prophet, again, primarily in that vein of connecting God's people, uh, to God's Word, I think that's the thrust of that of that gift, uh, both in in general ways. Uh, you know, if I think I think most uh, preachers of the word are in some sense prophets, but also in very specific ways. You know, in those instances, maybe where someone has had such a deep insight into into your life, and they've you know, maybe we talked about this a little bit earlier with the first question, uh, but where they're able to see something in your life, they've come to you, and and you know, I'm like, man, that. I feel like only God could have shown you that, uh, giving you such such insight that that's applicable to me. Um, so uh, I think, okay, maybe sometimes in certain occasions we'll leave it open that that the future uh, could be revealed by God to someone. Um, but I think normally uh, the the expression that I hear, and I think I think Mentor used this uh, when he covered covered uh, the spiritual gifts several years back. Uh, he said he said it's primarily forth-telling, prophecy is, primarily yeah. forth-telling, not primarily foretelling. So that's where I would land on that. Yeah, yeah I mean, you definitely, you know, if, if I'm looking at a principle from Scripture and I see something in your life, or that principle from Scripture, I can, you know, foretell this is probably... Where, where things are going to go. See where that you, train's headed. Yeah, where I see where that train's headed. <laughs> right. I see you're not forgiving this person and in in that lack of forgiveness it just, just again and again, you're just bitter and bitter and bitter. Well, I see where that's going to go in your marriage and in your relationships and things like that. Um, does it mean that I, like I have a, a perfect view of the future? No, but like I can look at the principles of scripture and, and, and see, well, I think, think this is where where the train is going. Yeah, and you have some extreme examples of that, obviously, in which, Jim, you mentioned this last Sunday in your sermon about the gentleman who'd written a book about the world and, you know, predicting the end of the world, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, obviously out of out of bounds there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you've got extreme examples. But. Well, in my personal experience, in envir- and I've, I've been in a lot of different church environments over the last 40 years, and I think I've been in environments where prophecy, the future telling, was prevalent in terms of the way they navigated and my personal observation was that these kind of broad general statements that were really 
could have been more a word of encouragement out of discernment than a prophecy, you know. And and I was like, yeah, it, 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 I had a hard time landing using that word for what I actually observed happening, right? Because very few, very few people are, you know, most people are hesitant to say this is going to happen in your life. You know, I never saw that happening, <laughs> right? Which is. Yeah. Old Testament predictive, yes, yeah, future telling prophecy, right? A whole different thing, right? Yeah. Um, along the miraculous, and I'm not going to take this one because I've been talking for a long time. So Aaron was kind <laughs> enough to say, "Hey, I'll take that one because it does fall into the miraculous sign." Yes. Um, what about miraculous healing? There were questions around the uh, area of, am, "Am I sick, or is my loved one sick because of a, a lack of faith, a weakness mm-hmm. of faith?" Uh, and are there legitimate faith healers today? Well, going back to what we were talking about earlier from Acts, yes, we see from there a lot of examples of healing, Jesus' ministry, a lot of examples of healing um, and faith there. Um, but a few other passages that just really come to mind when, when I think uh, of this question. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul Hey, I prayed three times that this mm. thorn in the flesh would be taken from me. God doesn't take that thorn in the flesh mm. from him. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. First um, uh, Timothy 5, Paul instructs Timothy. He's like, hey, uh, drink a little wine to help with your stomach problems, right? You know, I, I would think if anyone would be a good faith healer who would have enough faith to, to, to heal his own issue which God said no to, or to heal Timothy's issue, whatever like stomach bug uh, that he's that he's dealing with. It, it should be Paul. He should be able to pray away uh, any of these any of these things. Um, and and yes, I, you know I, I do think there is a you know there's definitely an element of faith in our prayer. You know as as we come before the Lord, we should I, I believe pray with a with a with an expectancy, pray with the faith um, that. That, that God is going to do something uh, with that. Um, but clearly, if, if Paul couldn't heal on command, do I expect people today to go around and be able to heal on command? And, and I, when I read this question uh, initially, I just, I just really, my heart broke for the person who's asking it because it, it's like I sense it from someone who is uh, just, you know, heard a lot of the prosperity gospel, you know, the mm-hmm. health and wealth gospel, this notion that God will unleash showers of blessings upon you if you just have faith and give this guy some money or whatever. Um, and, it, and I think it just ends up heaping a lot of condemnation on people like, mm-hmm. well, you're poor and you're sick because you don't have uh, enough faith. Um, and and yeah, maybe there's some instances where God is disciplining people and, and calling them uh, to repentance and, and to believe. But you know, that's, yeah, I mean, again, Paul's example of scripture, he's like, uh, like, hey God, would you take this thorn in the flesh from me? And God's like, no, my grace is sufficient uh, for you. You know, it, I don't think it's wrong that we pray for good health. Clearly Paul prays for good health. He's praying for Timothy for good health. Um, Third John uh, verse two, it, you know, he's praying there for, for good health for the for the people there. Uh, I don't think, again, it, it's wrong that we pray for um, people having surgery, whatever the, whatever the medical uh, things are. 
But I think our prayers should also be one of God. God, teach me. God, help me to have perseverance and joy uh, in this in this time. Help me to hear from you in this time. Help me to help me to worship you uh, today. And not again, not rejecting that like condemnation that you know. Well, you're somehow a terrible person. Um, you know, but that God would I have a would I have a joy even today. I mean, I know, um, you know, one of my neighbors who came to know the Lord a, a few years ago. You know, a big portion of his testimony uh, was watching my family's perseverance through sickness, mm-hmm. and 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 I think God is God is speaking through those 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 times, and it's not God isn't mad at you. God wasn't mad at Job. Um, God's not angry at Job. God's not like, Job, you don't have enough faith, right? Um, but God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I don't I don't know, understand them all. I can't explain why you're sick, why you're dealing with this thing, why you're not doing it. And it's certainly not, well, if you just have a little more faith and read another couple Bible verses, then all of it's going to go away. Well, I still think... I think you would agree that God still can heal miraculously. Oh, yes, that, that most this definitely. Is, this is about the gift of healing. That there's yeah, no one, yeah. I, I have the gift of healing. Okay. Yeah, and my response to that is, always, well, there's a hospital right down the road with a lot of people <laughs> yeah. who would love to meet you. Put all those doctors <laughs> For the glory of God, it, you know, if you have the gift of healing, right? And, and, I, oh, and I think part of that, the way God heals is he has provided us medical professionals. Sure, sure. I mean, I think I've, I've had a, a, a few different experiences where it certainly appeared that God healed miraculously. And I'm yeah. like, why know. he does it this time? You know, at the same time, I do think that one of the struggles in the, ch- the church, the modern church, right, the church through the 20th century, is a little bit of an anti-supernatural sort of approach to faith, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that there is a sense in which we need to approach this as if God can do anything. Mm-hmm. And our belief is that he can do anything, not strong-arming him into doing something in particular, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, you look at somebody like uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, right? And I know in the early portion of her journey after, you know, her paralysis of breaking her neck, uh, that she went to healing services and so forth and so on, and nothing nothing happening, right? And so here she is 55 years later, and what she would say is that where she is spiritually today is a direct result of the fact that God didn't heal her, right? And that, that her journey through severe disability uh, landed her in a very different place spiritually. Would she have loved to have been healed? Well, yeah. Uh, who wouldn't, right? But I think that how we navigate how we navigate our own position in that is critical, right? It's, and, you know, I think of John 9, where the, the man that was born blind was healed. Yeah, and they said, well, well, who, who sinned, this, this man or his, fa- his parents? That he was, you know, they're like, Jesus like, it's not about any of that. It's not about that. That's a false perspective, right? But so that he could glorify God, right? And, and so at, at that point, no one had, there wasn't, a, there wasn't faith really, as a critical element in that piece, right? It's it's easy to blame ourselves when for this lack of faith, and we we all lack faith, but God operates from a different paradigm, you know, and we don't always understand why He does or doesn't do what He does, right? Yeah, and I, and I think too, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you have you you do see uh, an accompaniment of faith and healing, 
Like you can't get around that. Like it's not like sure. they have nothing to do with each other. But the way that they tag team is often different from story to story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have examples in the Gospels of Jesus saying that he is healing someone due to their faith. You know, the Syrophoenician woman, like you can't get around that. Um, mm-hmm. You have instances where Jesus heals someone due to the faith of their friends. You know, yep. think of the paralyzed man who's lowered yeah, down through, through the, the roof, roof right. which, you know, greatest friends of all time. Um, <laughs> and then you have other examples where the healing uh, prompts the faith in someone. You have the 10 lepers and only one returns. Where are the other nine? Um, and so the way that faith and healing go hand in hand, it doesn't always have to be do you or do you have not have enough faith to be healed? Yeah. Uh, there, there's, it's not there's a one a, for one. It's not a one for one. There's a, there's a different play involved. Now, when it comes to the gift of healing specifically, and this is personally, you guys can disagree with me on this. I'm a little bit more open to the, to the gift of healing still existing. But it's been so muddied and clouded by people who have just narcissistically used it that I'm still wrestling through my own opinions on it. Just, just to be honest with those watching, if you're still watching and, 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 and you guys, I'm actually not willing to shut the door on the actual gift of healing that someone actually may have a supernatural gift of healing that, that the, that when they pray that there's a, there's a, something special going on there through the power of the Holy spirit. I'm not, I can't also say I, I'm 100%, yeah, the gift of healing still exists either. Open but cautious. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, to use a very wise man, um, I'm open but cautious. <laughs> uh, and, but I truly am open. I'm not just saying that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I, you mentioned John 9, uh, which is, man, I love one of my, one of my favorite, favorite passages. Um, where Jesus heal, he does heal that blind man. And, but at the, but the pinnacle of the, of the stories, you know, he's called in then in front of the, the Pharisees and they question him and they call him back, question him again, call his family in, you know, there's all this exchange. Uh, and it's interesting. After, so after the man is, after he receives his sight, you'll see him refer to Jesus as the man. Then you, then he refers to him as, uh, the, 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 the rabbi, one I will follow. He refers to him as, uh, eventually as a man from God. And then at the end of the chapter, he, he worships him. Yeah. And that, that's the pinnacle that whole that's the greater healing right yeah. there is it, yeah. not 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 his eyes, but that his heart was redeemed by Christ. And so I think for the believer who is going through any sort of illness, whether it's a season or whether it's something chronic, man, that's that's our hope is that eventually like healing comes. It's simply a matter of of time. Sure. And the amazing thing about that story is it's the first time in the whole Bible that someone born blind is healed. Mm. Never happens in the prophets of the Old Testament. That is. That is a messianic identity marker right there, uh, which is really neat. And that's why it leads to worship, you know, which is so cool. David, you were kind enough to take on this next question, which is a little bit of a nuanced uh, and rather interesting question, I thought. Did the Holy Spirit abide in everyone before the flood? So this is talking Old Testament. uh, And this individual went on to say, in Genesis 6-3, the text reads, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever. Uh, and so uh, they said, assuming the capitalized spirit reference in that verse is referring to the Holy Spirit, what kind of abiding is this? We've been studying the Holy Spirit primarily through the lens of the New Testament. So this is a, a question about the Holy Spirit's 
work in the Old Testament? Yeah, very, very simple, easy question. Here, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I think I think this question, and I, I definitely see where uh, this person's coming from, because you read something like that, you're like, wait, uh, spirit, uh, my spirit shall no longer abide in people? Does that mean it's been abiding with people? Um, I, th- I think this question is a really good example of why hermeneutically we don't make uh, a theological concept out of one verse especially one verse that is in a narrative form and doesn't really have to do with the major thrust of that passage to begin with. But I did look this up because it's, it's very interesting. So the word abide, interestingly enough, the way that it's parsed, it is the only parsed form of that verb in the Old Testament. So we can't look at the word for abide there if it's translated in, in you know, the, the ESV as abide. We can't look how that word is being used elsewhere to get a, a flavor for what it is. Therefore, the way it is parsed, the root verb is questioned. So we're not quite sure what the root verb of that is. And therefore, depending on the translation that you look at, you're going to see different translations. So ESV has abide, but NIV has contend, or the net translation, which is out of Dallas Theological Seminary, has uh, remain. And I think the the purpose there is not that Jesus, or not that God is saying, uh, the Holy Spirit has been abiding in you in a New Testament capacity, and now I'm going to take it from humanity. What God is saying is, my spirit is done contending with you. Like God has put up with enough evil in Genesis 6 that he is going to flood the earth. And so I don't think we should read a John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. I don't think we should read a, a, an Ephesians 1 indwelling into that word abide there as if something, yeah, as if something is going on that we're going to see later in the Bible. Uh, but we should just simply read that, uh, that passage as the Lord has had it up to here with the sin and evil of mankind. Mm-hmm. And that's what he means, that, that he's no longer going to uh, contend with this mm-hmm. type of a thing mm-hmm. anymore. So. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. <Thank> you. Good <laughs> answer. <laughs> Jim, you've uh, got more pastoral experience under your belt, more counseling experience uh, than probably the three of us combined. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm positive that you've probably come across this next question uh, in your, your, your time of counseling and pastoral ministry, and it's this. Uh, what do I do if I've been a Christian for a, a long time, but I don't feel the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I've been thinking about this quite a bit after reading through the questions, and I think one of the challenges for me in answering the question is that it prompts a whole series of different questions, Yeah. right, about... Uh, because I, I think that we all in our journey, and I think there's a lot of latitude about how God operates with people. You know, I, I've often said, you know, I'm the, I'm the preacher in our family, but my wife is way more spiritually sensitive than I am, right? Like she will more often say things like, you know, I just really, I'm just really sensing that the Lord wants us X. And I'm like, and there have been times where I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think so. And she's like, well, will you at least pray about it? And I'm like, okay. You know, and then as I'm praying, and over the course of time, I like go, yeah, she was right about that one. <laughs> you know, and, and so I think part of it, there's a lot of variables that, that come into this. You know, I, I don't know that the most, you know, if we took the most engineering, 
brainiac sort of man in our congregation and said, do you experience the Holy Spirit? Um, he'd probably, he might look back at you and go, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, like he's fine with where he is in his walk with Christ. He reads the word, he meditates on it, he uh, experiences some insight, he talks with his friends in his shepherd group, and in all of that, he's comfortable that the Holy Spirit is guiding and moving in spite of the fact that he hadn't felt a thing. You know, my brother's um, one of those kind of super off-the-chart smart you know, when he's talking, you're like, can you kind of dumb that down for the rest of us, you know, please? And, you know, we used to joke, um, you know, we think that Jack had a feeling once, but we're not sure, you know? I mean, he's such an intellectual guy, right? And I don't think that he would say that he feels the Holy Spirit, right? And then you have some folks that are wired a little bit more, you know, emotionally, and it would seem that everything that happens in their life, they are feeling the Holy Spirit in that, which brings me a different set of questions, right, about, you know, how the Lord works. So to me, then, then beyond that, I would ask, want to ask a series of questions about what are the rhythms of this person's life related to the things of God? In other words, I, I think that a person is more available to experience the Holy Spirit, how much time do you spend in the Word? How much time do you spend in prayer? Are you, do you have, like, the Holy Spirit is going to have a really hard time, if you will, kind of jumping into an experiential moment if I'm racing through life and haven't carved out any opportunity to quiet myself enough to engage, if you will, right? The other thing that I would say is when I experience the Holy Spirit the most, is when I'm engaged in something that he wants me to be about doing, right? So when I sit down to start studying, you know, I've shared this kind of publicly that, you know, to me, the place where the Holy Spirit shows up the most in my own personal journey is when I'm studying for a message at five o'clock in the morning. You know, most people don't know that five o'clock occurs twice in one day, right, experientially. And yet for me, that's where... I'll walk away from a moment like that. It's not it's not always in my own personal journey. It's when I'm and when I'm interacting with someone who's an unbeliever and then I walk away going, "Wow, I really experienced the Holy Spirit there." So to me, my personal experience of the Holy Spirit is really more when God's using me or encountering me in a way for his use, like when I'm preparing, than in my own for lack of a better way to put it, personal journey for me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'd have a series of questions. Is how much time, how, what is your rhythm of life with the Lord in the things of God, prayer and the word? And are you in an environment where you know how you're wired to be used by God, what your gifts are, and are you being about using those things? And what is your how do you see the Lord working in all of that? So I think, again, I think the question begs a whole series of other questions that I would want to, to ferret out. And I, th- I think more often when I hear the question, it has to do with those seasons where I'm struggling and I don't experience God. And, those, and a lot of times it's the dark time yeah. where God seems silent, 
God's doing something very, very different there than when he, I'm encountering him to be used by him and sharing my faith or when I, I'm using my gifts in this area or that area. So a lot about the person's personal life experiences at that, you know, at a given time, mm. I think really matter as it relates mm. to answering the question as well as how God works with different people. Because I don't think that, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't a one-size-fits-all in terms of the way he encounters people, uses people, uh, touches them, you know, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So those are, uh, uh, that may not be a sufficient answer. Well, yeah, I think it's, I I think it's a very good answer. Um, You consider within a church body, particularly, I mean, our our church body is not a small church body compared to most Right. Uh, in, you know, statistically. Uh, so you think of the amount of, we know that there, that there are probably a variety of gifts. Uh, we know from experience there's a variety of people and personalities and sensitivities all around us. And I think, I think part of that, part of that, a question like that can be motivated by looking at how someone else is wired or how they're gifted and saying, should I be doing that? Mm-hmm. Should, you know, why is that? Why, you know, why is what they're doing or saying how they're relating to God? Why is that not my experience? And right. so, uh, I can, you know, I think we can fall in a trap of playing a comparison game that breeds sure. some discontent sometimes yep. and yeah. maybe an unhelpful way. Yeah. Yeah. And there's obvious things too, right? Like living in unrepentant sin, you sure. know, doesn't remove the indwelling of the Holy spirit from us. We don't lose the Holy spirit but we do create some distance from his working in our lives. Absolutely. A life that's distracted, a life that's not on mission, you know, things like that. Um, that my, is, that my, is a valuable addition. I, and I appreciate that. I wasn't really thinking about, I was kind of making assumption, right? Yeah. Best case scenario well, apart it, from that, but you're going to, you're going to do all of your asking all these questions, kind of where you, where you're at. Sure. I, sure. I would sure. never just straight up answer this question right. without yeah, 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 asking yeah, yeah. diagnostics follow. first. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 right. Sure. Yeah, and, and actually, my my quiet time this morning, the uh, passage I read was was perfect for this. Part of my my New Testament reading has been in Second Corinthians, and you know you get Second Corinthians three, which is like one of the most unbelievable passages. Uh, you know that we with unveiled haste, you know unveiled haste, unveiled faces, you know are transformed into the same image. You know, and the Spirit is the one doing this. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So you have Paul who's just writing about this glorious experience that we as believers get to have with the Holy Spirit, that we behold the Lord himself in a unique way because we have the Spirit dwelling inside of us. And he gets to 2 Corinthians 5, you know, just two chapters later. And at the end of verse 5, he says, uh, God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And then he says this, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. And so Paul's just gotten done saying this amazing truth about our own sort of truth and relationship to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit's doing, our own experiential walk with the Spirit. But then he says, at the end of the day, though, we are still at home in the body and absent from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so part of what this person who asked the, the question may be feeling is the natural groanings of life under the sun. 
that even though we have the Spirit, even though we are being transformed by the Spirit, even though we have this miraculous, wonderful relationship with the Lord because of the Spirit, we still are going to be longing for more. We still are going to be longing for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. We are still going to be longing to see Jesus one day face to face. And so even though we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, it doesn't mean that we're going to be feeling him all the time to the max capacity and we're always going to be fulfilled all the time because we're still living under the sun. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the season. That is that is life, right? It's 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 loss and longing the whole way through. We, we feel those things that we had that are no longer, that we've lost, people, whatever, uh, and those things that we don't have that we wish we had that we long for them. And so, yeah, I think that's right on. Uh, final question. And this one, this one goes to you, Aaron, because that w- this was really your the, a, a lot of your sermon uh, was ancillary and or focused on this question, uh, which is how can I understand my spiritual gifts and know what they are? And you would even, I think you'd thrown out in your sermon, hey, you know, you do spiritual gift assessments, stuff yeah. like that. How would you further answer that that question? Yeah, um, I, yeah. As I mentioned in my message, you know, I, I do think there's a value to uh, to those spiritual gifts inventories, lots of them available. You can Google them. Um, but realistically, I, I think there's a lot of just some per- personal self-reflection that that when I'm, when I'm asking these questions in my own life, right, where I'm pulling away by myself and asking uh, some reflexive questions like, okay, what, let's be honest, what are my skills? What are my talents? What are my abilities? What am I um, just find naturally really easy uh, easier to do than than other people find uh, find to do. So I'm I'm kind of pulling. Uh, okay, what are what are what do I think are, are some of uh, some of my my abilities, um, and, and trying to make a make an honest assessment there. Uh, you know, as I talked a lot about in my message, I, I don't think uh, when we're talking about spiritual gifts. It's just one of the, the eight or ten that are that are listed in the different passages of scripture. Um, you, you know, it's not like, well, I can only have the gift of service, or I can have the gift of teaching, or I, you know, you know, I can only have one of these, and it's got. No, well, God, you know, I have a engineering degree from Virginia Tech. I don't think God was random for giving me that experience there. Okay, well, that's a gift that I have. Well, then, how? What am I doing? investing that right uh investing that that ability it has um you know I'm, I'm asking myself questions some reflexive questions what am i passionate about and, and a part of the way i think you you see what you're passionate about is maybe even what frustrates me what kind of like gets me what mm. gets me riled up um holy, I just, holy discontent yeah what's the holy discontent i mean there's certain i mean we live in a world where we hear about thousands of different problems, right? You can't watch TV without, well, hey, there's starving people here, and there's abuse over here, and, and there's this issue and that issue. And that's part of the challenge, I think, in our, our present day is we just hear about so many issues, right? Well, then the, there's sometimes I just hear about an issue, and it just, like, it, it tugs uniquely at my heart. And I'm like, I want to do something about that, mm. Right? So I'm asking my question, myself that question, okay, what are, what are those passions? What are those things that I just, I get really angry that like, I cannot believe that's happening in our, our present world. Um, and then I'm asking myself questions, okay, well, realistically, I, I can't solve all the world's problems, right? 
Uh, I am not the salvation of mankind. I am grateful I know who the salvation of mankind is. Um, but that's not me. Um, well, but what resources do I have within within my allotted time, you know, within my other commitments that God has has for me to do? God is not calling me to abandon my family to go do something else. Um, no, I, I, like if he's giving me the family, that's that's a, that's an important priority. Right. So so I've asked myself the questions about my abilities, about my passions uh, and about the resources I have. And then after I've made some self-assessment, it is so valuable, I think, to ask for mm-hmm. ask other people yeah. to, to talk to some other trusted people that, you know, OK, well, what are the gifts? I mean, Jason, we've been working with each other for a long time. What are some of the gifts you see in me? What are some of the what are some of the things that, you know, that I'm passionate about? Um, and what do you see some things you just hear me talk about and rant about a lot that, oh, well, maybe, Aaron, if you always <laughs> rant about it, maybe you should do something <laughs> about it. Um, um, and so, uh, you know, I'm asking for that counsel and, and, you know, then asking some people I know, like, well, hey, given this, like, well, do you know anything that I could do that might that mm-hmm. might be in that in that wheelhouse? Um, and uh, and then finally, when I when I hear about some of those, I, I've taken some time to kind of think about a little. I'm going to try it out, um, you know, and maybe the first thing you try out, you're like, I did this a couple of weeks. And nope, nope, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, um, you know, I, I've worked with junior high, our junior high ministry uh, for 15 years. And God bless your soul. <laughs> it's a, it is a blessing. Appreciate you. Um, but, you know, we've had I've had some leaders come in and, and try it out for a few weeks and they're like, I, mm. I cannot do this. Like yeah. this is not. And that's fine. There are other great ministries, other great avenues to, you know, you know, to invest. And I'm not saying that, hey, this is the, the only thing uh, out there. It's a great thing. Probably the best thing here at the church. But, <laughs> um, but no, like, you know, hey, I, I have uh, I've tried it out. And OK, that, that didn't work. Let me try some. Let me try something. Uh, try something. Uh, try something else. And and I think. The number of times where, you know, I've I've just said, Lord, I'm open. Show me what to, show me what to do, and and the Lord brings those things before us. I mean, honestly, how I started my job here at RBC, um, I was at a, my wife and I were at a season where, like, Lord, we really sense that you want us to do something different. We don't know what it is. We're open to. And we were open to a lot of a lot of things. I was like, well, I was a part-time seminary student. Lord, do you want me to go into seminary full-time? Um, do you, you know, do you want me to go on the mission field? Do you want to whatever, whatever it is? But Lord, I need you to tell us what you. We're we're open to it. And uh, it was when I was in that season. I was having lunch with Bob Scholl uh, at the time, uh, who's led our youth ministry here for many many decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, Hey, Aaron, I have a you know, I was explaining kind of where I'm at. And he's like, I have a job. It's yours if you want it. And, you know, and I was the saying, Lord, I'm open to it. And it doesn't have to be something as big as a career shift there. Um, but, you know, hey, Lord, I, I have a passion for my neighbors. Like, Lord, I'm open to to it. And oh, what do you know? I'm, I'm walking the dog and there's one of my neighbors. I'm open to a conversation there. Uh, versus, no, I gotta, I gotta get my, you know, lap done as quickly as possible because I got other things to do, right? But am I, am I open to those conversations and saying, Lord, hey, yeah, I want to be used by you. Okay, what do you, what do you have before me uh, today? I think one other thing that I would say, I, I think the, I think we underestimate 
and you, you touched on this piece. I think we underestimate the need to, to try some things out, right? Yeah. What the gift yeah. is and what the expression of that gift may not be per, per, perfectly clear, right? I'm struggling, what, you know, where am I gifted? What does the Lord want to do with me? But then in what ministry or how will that really look? I, I say, okay, I have the gift of hospitality. Okay, fine. Well, how does that really play itself out in reality, mm-hmm. right? And I think just, I think it takes some time and to try some things to see what is really the sweet spot on that. The yeah. other thing I would say is I really feel that the Holy Spirit sharpens the gifts over time. I, yes. I don't think we wake up like, I am great at this one thing, and I start out as a young believer or as a young adult or whatever, and I'm great at it, and I'm great at it for the next you know 50 years of my life, right? That these things can develop over time. And often someone can say, look at someone else and say they have the rudimentary foundational stuff mm-hmm. that the Lord is going to build on, you know? Um, but I think, I think some of those things take time. And, and I think people, when they feel unclear, get discouraged. But I often think that's the case yeah. that people have to sort it out over time and that it isn't clear right out, right out of the gate. Yeah. I think for, for, you know, all of us is, as pastors, you know, the first sermon we gave, probably not our best. <laughs> our, our, no doubt. Our best one. First, no time, I, no first, first time I shared my faith uh, with a, a friend or coworker is definitely like this awkward, well, you know, God, Jesus loves you. Um, I, you should come to church because I don't know what else to say here, right? And, and, and you my, have the gift of evangelism, but you didn't even know it yet. One of the first times I did announcements here, I told everyone that we were going to sell beautiful women, so... <laughs> Classic. Yeah, it's, it's Roll that clip. Let him on stage ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, to, your, to your point, though, all of those, all of those things. I mean, we see it in every other aspect of our sure. life. Absolutely. Why wouldn't I see it here in in sure. my in my spiritual gifts and Absolutely. using them? Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, we hope this has been very helpful to you. Uh, again, as you continue to engage with the material from the Holy Spirit series, continue to grow in your faith and knowledge and walk of Jesus. Um, it is a joy to serve you. It's a joy to serve with you. And uh, again, we hope this has been helpful. Pastor Jim, will you pray us out? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to gather together to answer these questions and to, to kind of really dialogue about them. And God, we know that all the questions that we have are questions that have been asked before, that there's insights in your word, there's insights in the the body of Christ. We're grateful for the people in our congregation who have asked these particular questions. God, we want to understand how it is that we can walk with you most effectively. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit series and the power that that brought to the to the congregation to understand uh, what it is that you're all about through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that this has been helpful and uh, God, that you would guide us and lead us as a congregation, individually, and so forth, as we walk together for the sake of Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.